0: to go. They'd be a touch loud, I think. Cheers. How, how lovely it is to together today, even in even in the, the current circumstances, and to, to call on the name of the Lord together. What a wonderful tool that the Lord has given us. What a wonderful promise. Um, and how how fitting that last song that we just sang was to prepare us for what we're going to hear in God's Word today. Um, about the gift of prayer. Feels like we've got a lot of things to be to be praying over, and it's a comfort for us to know just what it is that God intends to do through the prayers of His of His people. Maybe it's worth beginning by asking ourselves the question: Do you pray? Do you pray? I bet if we did a survey of the room, sm- smaller room than than usual, um, and so maybe not statistically significant, uh, but we would get it. We'd get a variety of different answers to that question, wouldn't we? We'd we'd get everything from a yes. I pray regularly, I've, I've even got a system worked out, I keep, I keep a track of my prayers so that when God answers them, I can say thank you, I've got, I've got journals recorded of a lifetime of, of prayer, we meet those people, all the way over to, not really, I, I just can't get into it, uh, it's not a thing that I connect with very easily, I feel like I'm wasting my time, um, I get distracted, I get bored, um, and, and for those of us who find prayer difficult, how many different ineffective motivators have we discovered? <laughs> as as we've explored prayer. How many many different ways have we tried and failed to motivate ourselves to pray? I've used New Year's resolutions. I've used guilt. I've used rewards. I've used punishments. And I just can't bring myself to get into the routine of giving things to the Lord in prayer. I know it matters. I'm a Christian. I believe God listens, but I just cannot get enthusiastic about prayer. Um, you aren't the first to find it hard, by the way, if, if that is you. Uh, especially in our culture, which is so immediate in terms of its gratifications, and <laughs> everybody's okay? <laughs> uh, so immediate in terms of its gratifications, and so anti-supernatural in its assumptions about how the, the world works. Uh, we, as believers in the present time, in, in this present culture, in this present place, we we fight against a constant encroaching cynicism, which tells us to be skeptical of everything that God promises well I've got good news for you today. Um, as we 've been making our way through Romans 8, which is the best chapter of the best book of the Bible, um, we have encountered a lot of very gracious promises from God towards his people. Um, I said last week we're, we are approaching the summit, and the view's getting pretty good in my opinion, it's just an opinion, it's not not you have to believe the same as this. But I think next week is the summit. I, I think our passage for next week is the, the pinnacle of the mountain. Um, Here we are right near the top. We've encountered all these very gracious promises from God, just layering these blessings, one on top of another, all these very, very exciting and helpful things, encouraging things. This is is the stuff that builds uh, assurance in us and confidence in us that God is who he said he is and confidence in how God is going to treat us. Well, in today's passage, we come to see that God has promised his supernatural help in and through and with our prayers, Why don't we have a read of the passage? It's two verses today, Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. It's pretty great. Our passage today begins with a really important word, and that word is likewise. Likewise, which means in the same way as, right? Has us looking all the way back to all of these things that have come before us. This is what we need in our minds to understand what is being said today. We look all the way back to verse 14, where God said this, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We, we began to consider what it means that, that anyone who's a Christian has, has, has God's Spirit living in them, and that's created all of these wonderful things that it is to be a Christian. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Much like all these other promises we have heard about what it means to have the Spirit of God, that's what it's going to be like to to encounter God's Spirit in our prayer life. Think about all the things we've been promised the Spirit of God does in us. Um, We are adopted as sons by the Spirit of God. We have received the Spirit of adoption, and, and it is by Him that our fear is removed, and we cry, Abba, Father. Last week, we looked at the hope of the new creation and new bodies and the new world that we want to live in. And the Spirit was central here, too. We read, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so the Spirit of God living in us has given us the adoption of sons, has given us the assurance of salvation, has given us the hope of new bodies in the new world. And just like He does all those things, the Spirit of God is going to give another blessing to us. And that blessing is... Empowered prayer, the Spirit of God Himself helps us in our weakness. Let's talk about prayer. Have you ever wondered just what it is? It, it, I think it's a thing we kind of assume, right? Because it's, it's such a common part of, of, of having a, a, a faith in God. Um, that we never ever really kind of stare at it in the face. But What is prayer? And for those, for those of you who are, who are new at this or maybe just, just starting to learn, the really, really simple version is prayer is talking to God. There's, there's lots of different forms that it takes. Um, we, we, when we pray, we, we express our needs to him. We ask him for his help. That's probably the best known kind of prayer. People ask God to help them. But prayer is also r- r- relational. We, we, we speak to God the way that you would speak to, to anyone. It involves um, us giving him our adoration and our affection, our praise, uh, it involves our thankfulness. It involves our repentance. And when repentance is just simply a, a, a word that means turn, turning away from and turning towards. And so turning away from sin and turning towards God, saying sorry. Uh, it, it, it is an, a conversation of intimacy and enjoyment that we have of God. That all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So, so, so why on earth would anyone ever find that hard? <laughs> and the answer is because of the fall. The Bible tells us that the nature of the human race changed when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. All of those kinds of prayer that we just described, Adam and Eve had no need for in prayer, in one sense. Um, They didn't pray like we pray. In in, in the Garden of Eden, when, when the human race first began, they walked with God in a sinless world. They didn't need repentance and all those other things. For them, praying was no different to me talking to you after the church service today. It was simple communication, face-to-face. That was prayer for Adam and Eve before the fall. But we read, when the human race became rebellious, sinned against God, that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden and cast out from the presence of God, and they were barred from re-entering. And at that moment in time, the way in which the human race interacts with God changed. We, we now communicate with him, as from a distance. We know he's here with us, we know he's everywhere, but it's not, it's not like it was. It is harder. There is a veil that needs piercing. Actually, the first time that prayer appears in the Bible in the sense that you and I would be familiar with comes in Genesis chapter 4. So the fall, when, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, that's in Genesis chapter 3. And then the next chapter, chapter 4, describes the rapid degeneration of the human race into the ever-growing sinful brokenness that we've become so familiar with today. Especially through the line of Cain, one of the children of Adam and Eve. Cain kills his brother, Abel. Lamech, his descendant, then takes two wives instead of one and murders a man in disproportionate retaliation. This is We've gone from, from doubting God's promises and eating forbidden fruit to... All kinds of strife within a chapter. And then right at the end of that chapter of of increasing sinfulness, which is going to keep increasing on the other side of this little promise, um, right at the end of chapter 4, we get this little little pip of hope. Because as we're learning the line of Cain and how, how bad the human race is getting, we jump back to Adam and Eve, who have another son, by the grace of God, whom they name Seth. And we get this one verse, Genesis 4, 26, which says this. To Seth, also was, um, sorry, to Seth also a son was born. He called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Which begins revealing to us <laughs> that the, the, the Bible contains a line of promise, a, a line of Faithfulness. God has always been building a people for himself. Even right back as far as the beginning of the problem of the sinfulness of the human race, God had a plan to redeem a people for himself. And so right from the beginning, the children of Adam and Eve include some who are calling on the name of the Lord. Does that, does that mean Adam and Eve? Question for another time. That's, that's a fun one to think about. Will we meet them in heaven or not? I don't know the answer to that question. But in Genesis chapter 4, people begin to pray. And there's a specific element of prayer that stands out here. They call on the name of the Lord. See, so when we pray, we aren't praying to the sky. We aren't praying to some impersonal, supernatural force. We aren't even praying to God ill-defined. We know who we are speaking to in prayer. We have His name to speak to Him by, and we call on him and him alone. As the rest of the human race is wandering off into escalating sinfulness, there is a group within a thin red line of promise who continue to call on the name of the Lord, the the God who made us. He is their hope. They have placed their faith in him alone as their help. They call on his name. The next time we hear that phrase is on the lips of Abraham, the patriarch, who is a part of the line of promise, who receives the promises of God and faith and then builds an altar, And calls on the name of the Lord. And then this phrase appears again in the book of Exodus. On the other side of the trials of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 20, it appears in the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Have you ever wondered why God is so bothered (laughs) so much (laughs) by his name being misused? The name of the Lord, as a biblical concept, is, is worth understanding. God, God has been gracious enough. God has been gracious enough to share his name with his people. When, when we call on him, when we speak with him, when we, when we plead with him, we call on him by name. It's, it's personal. It's intimate. And when we pray in his name, something of his authority and his power is on loan to us. His willingness to to hear and to act on behalf of his people. And therefore to misuse his name is to take God's gracious self-sharing. His willingness to bless us despite what we deserve as his natural enemies. And to turn his grace into an insult in the most personal of ways. The, the, The name of the Lord is not a swear word. It is a blessing that we even know it. People call on the name of the Lord, and it's important that we don't misuse that name. Then we come to the New Testament, where we learn that calling on the name of the Lord is to pray in the name of Jesus, which is an overt reference to his divinity. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus said this to us, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, my name. When you read that, it probably doesn't just jump off the page to you. Jesus just claimed to be God. But he did. (laughs) We've been calling on the name of the Lord forever. Now we're going to pray in the name of Jesus? That's an escalation. Now, just stop here with me and consider the potential power of prayer. the, 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 The size of the promise that Jesus just gave to us. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The God of heaven has just said to you, his people, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It really says that. It's right there in your Bible, John fourteen fourteen. It's an easy one to remember. There's a condition there. We'll talk about that in a moment. But before we get to the condition, here is the biblical motivation for prayer. Here is the biblical motivation for prayer. Not guilt. Not even discipline. Not even morality. It is right that we would pray. That's not the reason given to us but rather hope, faith, the belief that he listens and that he cares and that he is willing and able to help us. This is why we call on him. We call on him by name and we experience his grace. This is why we pray. Because it matters. Because it helps. Because he hears. If we truly believed what Jesus had said, if you ask me anything in my name, I promise you, we would pray. You would not need to find any more motivations. We would take all things to him, wouldn't we? If, he, if we ask anything in his name, I will do it. I wouldn't need to be worried. I wouldn't need to be reminded to, to pray or worried about forgetting it. I would know that I need this and that it will help me. When we were grieved, we would run to him knowing that there is the comfort that that we so, so need and desire. I would express my grief and I would be heard and I would be comforted and I would be certain that that would be the outcome. When we received things, we would run to him in praise and thanksgiving, knowing that he has done so graciously. If we actually believe that we need him, if we actually believe that he is willing to help, we will pray. We will pray. And to say it the other way around, a lack of prayer in your life is indicative that what you have is a faith problem. It's not a discipline problem. It's a belief problem. We are in a practical sense when we fail to pray. We are in a very practical sense placing our trust in, placing our faith in something or someone else. It can be a person. It can be yourself. But your trust is not where it belongs if you are a prayerless person. It is a sign that you need to do some soul-searching to find out where your heart has wandered to for its security. Likewise, a healthy prayer life is a good indicator that the rest of your faith is growing and healthy. If you show me a mature Christian, I will show you a praying one. Ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. How could we not take advantage of so gracious an invitation? There is a condition. It's a good one. though. In my name. Which here means, yes, personally, yes, specifically to him, but also this, in accordance with my will, on my behalf, to pray in the name of Jesus, is to pray in accordance with his nature, his promises, his teaching, and his will. To pray for what he would pray for. Isn't Jesus our model? We just sang it. Father, not my will, but yours be done. This is the heart of prayer. And when we do that, when we pray the will of God to God, we pray in his authority and mountains move. But this, of course, is where the frustration comes in, isn't it? Frustration which is not unknown to the apostles. We have this promise. It's one of, like outside of salvation itself, how many promises in the Bible are weightier than this? We have this promise, and yet we continually experience a frustration. How do I pray in the name of Jesus when I'm not certain what his will is? How do I pray in the name of Jesus when my understanding is imperfect? How do I pray in the name of Jesus when I really want my will to be done and I can't see the line between my will and his will? Well, now we come back to Romans 8. We start to experience the comfort that God has for us. First thing we read about in Romans 8 was that our prayer lives are weak. It says this in Romans 8:26 likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought is that familiar there is help coming in a moment but before we get there i would wager that you have experienced this frustration yourselves even this week Sometimes I just do not know how to pray. Is any of this familiar? I am grieving over my friends and my family who are spiritually lost. How do I even begin to pray for them? I don't know where to begin or what to ask, Lord, help help them, help me. Ah! I'm in distress. The, the suffering of this world has come home to roost in my life in some way. I feel disoriented and alone. I'm a little numb from the shock of it, you know, those days. They tell me that I can go to God and receive comfort and strength. But God, what do I even say? I don't even know what I'm feeling. Like, Do you see what's happening to me? Have I been forgotten? It might seem a little blasphemous to pray that way. It's just, it's just how God taught us to pray in the Psalms. I'm angry, I've got someone I need to forgive, I've got a cheek that needs to be turned to the other side, but did you hear what they said? They don't deserve forgiveness, and over my rage, how do I, how do I find graciousness? I need to come before God and ask for my daily bread, that's what Jesus told me to do. But I don't know where the border between what I need and what I want lies. So sometimes I'm praying in the name of Jesus for my daily bread. And sometimes I'm praying in the name of me for my fleshly wants. I'm in danger. I need rescuing. But rescue seems impossible in these circumstances. How do I even begin to ask God for mercy? I have sinned, and I'm broken, and I need to be restored. But the the burden of guilt and shame makes the idea of turning my face towards heaven seem like too wide a valley to cross. We do not know how to pray as we ought. That's the frustration. Isn't it comforting to hear someone (laughs) as good at this as the Apostle Paul describing our experiences with his words. That's the frustration. And that frustration is what helps to keep us away from the marvelous gift of prayer. We worry that our prayer is fruitless and unheard. We don't even know if what we are asking for is pleasing to God. Here comes the good news. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us, intercedes for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Actually, what this this promise does is it takes our minds back to two things we've heard before. How rich is this? The first is groaning. There are three kinds of groaning in this part of Romans 8. We we heard the first two last week. There's three tensions that just won't go away this side of heaven, but which herald the arrival of a better thing. This is the imagery of the groaning. Like, Like labor pains, we were told, the whole of creation is groaning, waiting for the revealing of sons of God. So creation itself is groaning, waiting for a better thing. And then we too, as Christians, are groaning, waiting for our new bodies, which are free from the the power and the penalty of sin. And here the Spirit itself, himself, is groaning as he intercedes, which just means praise on our behalf for us. As he comes between, as he fills the gap. Did you know this? Did you know that God himself labors over you in prayer. I chose that word labor on purpose, with groans too deep for words. Isn't that mind-melting? God himself labors over you in prayer. The Spirit intercedes for us. Actually, the other thing that this this promise takes us back to is is what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Praying in the name was the condition of Jesus granting us what we ask for. And what we find out in this passage is that whenever the Spirit prays for you, it is perfectly in accordance with the name. Do you understand? This This is the second part of that. This is what verse 27 is all about. He who searches hearts... Knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If God always acts in accordance with God's will, then if God prays for you, you can be certain that the answer will be yes. The Spirit intercedes for you with groanings too deep for words, perfectly in accordance with the will of God. And as he does this, suddenly your weak and uncertain and unconfident and inarticulate and mingled with sin prayers are sanctified, purified, and heard, and useful, and blessed. I'm grieving. I don't even know how to express it. God... Holy Spirit says, "I got gotcha. you. I know exactly what you're trying to say. Sanctified, turns it into a pleasing aroma before the God of heaven. Perfectly expresses the promises of God for you and your pain. And God hears, and He responds. Is that not the most enormous promise? We have this imagery here. This, do you realize, Christian, that this is what is happening when you pray?" we have this imagery of the child of God. Frail and imperfect. Wanting to pray and to take advantage of God's wonderful promises, but just being too frail, too weak to actually get it done. Just, just like the disciples were with Jesus in the garden and their spirits were willing, but their flesh was weak and Jesus in his moment of need prayed alone because they kept falling asleep. You've had that one? You can do that on the night when the Messiah is crucified. Any one of us can fall asleep in prayer. In our weakness, we do not know how to pray as we ought. But as we pray, the Spirit is laboring over us and for us and in us and through us with groans too deep for words. Words can't express what we need sometimes, but the Spirit can. And He takes our weak and our insufficient prayer and He sanctifies it, pleading on our behalf to the Father. In the name of Jesus, everything, everything that the Spirit prays in perfect accordance with the will of the Father is absolutely in the name of our God because the Spirit perfectly knows the mind of God. He is God himself. How could prayer not be powerful? How could it be possible for the prayers of the saints, his children, to be ignored. So we have an encouragement. Do you pray? I hope so. For you and for this world. Parts of the Bible like this are not meant to guilt you into praying. That would be useless. Actually, it's meant to entice you we have this very gracious invitation from God. We have His own name to call on Him by. We have His Son's redeeming work given to us as a gift. And we have His indwelling Spirit sanctifying our prayers, praying on our behalf, in perfect accordance with the father's will do you not know have you not heard that our trinitarian god has bent down and made himself available to us in prayer and if you ask anything in his name he will do it so come come how could this not result in any how could this result in anything else but come and know his comfort come and know his strength come and know his provision come and know his intervention Let us call on the name of the Lord together, even now. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you are before all things and above all things. To you and to you alone belongs glory and honor and praise. All good things that we have have come to us directly from your hand. Who you are and what you have done is a delight to us like no other. Lord, any delight that we lack in you is because we are blind. and We do not see you as you are. Father we inhabit these broken bodies stained and tainted by the problem of sin in this world and even though you have given us such sweet and precious promises we do not know how to praise you we get discouraged we get distracted Our faith is imperfect. We fail to hope that your promises are true. Father, forgive us. Not because we deserve forgiveness. Not even because we'd like it. Father, forgive us because of Jesus and what he has done. In prayer here today, we lay claim to his finished work on the cross and say, because he died, we should not. Because he was punished, Lord, we should be free. Through him and him alone, Lord, do we plead. Forgive our sins. And help us. Holy Spirit is a joy to learn. That not only have we been given you as our close comfort and security. But we have received spiritual power by your presence in us. We thank you that you intercede for us. Even while you convict us and make us grow. When I, when I look back at, at my life of prayer, I, I become pretty certain that you have prayed for me more than I have prayed for me. Even now we pray that you would teach us to, to join with you, to cooperate with you as we labor over this fallen world in prayers of intercession. Spirit, we pray that you would drive back the darkness. That you would set people free from bondage to sin. That you would change the mind of the arrogant and the haughty and the violent. All those who take your name in vain. Lord, we pray that you would bring transformation to our world and to our lives. We bring our griefs and burdens to you. We ask for your provision. We need you. We need you here with us. We need to know that you care. We need to know that you hear. here. We need to know that it matters. We need your comfort, your security, and your assurance. God, we pray that you would deliver us from the power of the evil one and his plans in this world. And that you would see us safely to your kingdom. That you would lead us out from the temptation to sin, and into places where our our faith will grow and and, and will flourish and will thrive. Father, I need you because I can't forgive. It's just too hard to let go of this, Mm -hmm. the pain that the sins of others have brought into my life. I, I hold it against them. And yet I know that if I am to be forgiven, I must forgive. Spirit, give me power. We pray all of these things in a name. Because we know to whom we speak. We know who it is that loves us. We know who it is that saved us. We know who it is that calls us and is calling us. We know who it is that provides and keeps us safe. In you and you alone do we place our hope. It is in the name, the precious name of Jesus, which we pray. Amen. sing